the ungallery talks about the seven lies, identity lies that women believe. And this, Dr. Javid, this is where Christian women and Muslim women actually come together in saying we're at the same place. Our context may be totally different. Our beliefs are totally different. But there are identity lies that we believe about ourselves. Even after we come to know Christ, we can be held captive by these things. You are listening to Our Urban Voices with Dr. Alphonse Javed, a podcast that presents Christian narratives through diverse voices that impact urban ministry. Here is your host. Hi, I'm Dr. Alphonse Javed. Over the past year, we have had so many amazing guests on the show. We have talked about everything from chess ministry to immigration, urban missions to cricket, and gentrification to dance. We have heard so many stories of how God is working in urban settings, in Muslim contexts, and around the world. Every week, we share a new episode highlighting an important voice we believe deserves to be heard. But this month, we will be resharing our most popular episodes. Even if you have already heard them, we believe you can still learn something new. Please enjoy. Welcome back to the show. Today, we have with us uh, Jamie Staples, the founder of the Truth Collective. Jamie, please introduce yourself to us and tell us a little about your family. I love hearing about families. In this way, audience can get to know you personally before they can uh, uh, understand why you do what you do. Absolutely. And my family is a big part of why I do what I do. So Thank you very much for inviting me to be here um, with you. Um, As you said, my name is Jamie Staples. I'm the founder and CEO of The Truth Collective as a ministry inviting women to know, believe, and share what is true about who God is and how he sees women so that Muslim women will have an encounter with Emmanuel. And uh, I have long since believed that women play a critical role in uh, not only culture and community, but also in the church. And, um, and so it's a joy for me just to, to be able to focus on, on women. Uh, I have two sons, uh, teenage sons. So uh, that means I have very little food in my house most of the time. <laughs> I've been married for almost 24 years uh, to my husband, Brian. And I think that you could really say um, my heart for the Muslim world started unbeknownst to me uh, on September 11th. Uh, my husband and I were both in the aviation industry. And of course, after, after that, um, uh, it, it, there was a, a pretty significant impact in my perspective on the Muslim world. Even though I've been a believer my entire life, uh, I still had some, some tension, some, even some animosity um, towards the Muslim community after that event. And ironically, uh, the Lord had a plan even at that time, because um, we were already planning on going overseas um, into full-time ministry. And it wasn't until we got to East Africa that the Lord really began to open my eyes to one, study Islam and to be surrounded by a Muslim community, predominantly Somalis that were living in the area uh, nearby. And And what can I say? He just really uh, broke my heart for the women and the beliefs that they had about who they were and how God saw them. It was a, it was a, a trigger for my justice button, if you will. And so the Lord and I went a couple rounds (laughs) uh, on that particular matter. And when we came back to the United States, uh, I had the privilege of working for 
Quad Mastery at, at the Crescent Project who helped me kind of navigate some of the, um, the conflict in my own heart that, that it's not just about uh, humanitarianism or, or justice, that it's actually uh, entirely about uh, women seeing their hearts restored to wholeness uh, through the power of Jesus Christ. And, and so in that sense, I think I became uh, more uh, set on evangelism at that time and had the opportunity to develop a women's training program there at Crescent Project um, for a number of years. And during that time, uh, and we may talk about this later, Dr. David, but um, during that time, I, I started to realize that here in the United States, there was a, a significant community of women who were still resisting um, this part of the Great Commission, this, this part of reaching the Muslim world. And it perplexed me a, a great deal and my team. Uh, what's the holdup? Is it really a fear of, of um, political uh, circumstances? Is it, is it fear of not knowing enough about the Bible? Like what exactly is going on here? And the longer we worked with the American community, the more we began to realize that uh, a large number of Christian women have a passionate pursuit of God through his word, but their transformation testimony uh, was still unavailable to them. And, and what I mean by that is that um, they had inquired of the Lord through his word, but were still missing those areas of their lives that were holding them captive and therefore uh, didn't feel qualified to go to a woman who, as you know, would, would, would risk her life uh, to follow Christ. And, and how do I go to her uh, and ask her and invite her to consider Christ when my own life is still held captive in certain areas? And so that's where the Truth Collective began to um, develop, and uh, we began to build this community. I, I wish I could tell you that uh, I'm, I'm super experienced and, and very credible and, and have all the qualifications uh, to do what we're doing, but the honest truth is that the Lord just called me to this because it was my own struggle. Um, I was very uh, interested in, in seeing Muslims know Christ, but uh, there were still some areas in my own life where I was being held captive um, by some lies that I believed about who I was, and it caused me to hesitate when, when sharing the gospel. And so I would tell people all the time, the Truth Collective is, is a beautiful ministry, but it's, it's first and foremost a, a ministry to my own self. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and I think that's just God's mercy. Um, so yeah, that's how we got started. That's so cool. I also uh, like the idea that uh, it's a twofold ministry. Here you are talking about uh, um, even Christian women are dealing with their own uh, um, issues or uh, it's a, almost uh, calling the church for, um, you know, it's a introspection of uh, self, like looking mm -hmm. inside and discovering what is causing me to uh, not step out in faith and do something. And then the second part, what it will look like when you do step out and uh, what are those things you need to do? So you founded the Truth Collective as a means to call more believers into a biblical response to the Muslim world. So tell, tell me and our audience more about your work. Give us an overview of the uh, uh, Truth Collective. I, I know that you, you already shared some of these thoughts, but what was the catalyst for your founding it or how did it start? Yeah, I always knew that somewhere, I knew two things when the Lord brought me to this ministry. Uh, one, it was going to be a ministry that was both discipleship and evangelism. Again, as we've talked about, there was something hindering the American church 
uh, and I would say the Western church at large uh, for engaging with the Muslim world. And, and I just felt like, Lord, I, I don't really feel like you're calling me to step out of Muslim ministry in order to attend to um, just the discipleship portion within the church. Um, but I think that he gave me this beautiful uh, vision for a both and, and, and we often refer to the Truth Collective as a first me, then her ministry. Uh, and it turns out uh, the second thing uh, that I knew was on the table, though I got to be honest, I had no idea um, where the Lord was going to take it, was that there was an element uh, that we were to discover through the arts. And so I had a vision for an art gallery, an art exhibition, and uh, you can see that on our website, uh, understand that a little bit better. But basically, the, the UnGallery talks about the seven lies, identity lies that women believe. And this, Dr. Javid, this is where Christian women and Muslim women actually come together in saying we're at the same place. Our context may be totally different. Our beliefs are totally different. But there are identity lies that we believe about ourselves. Even after we come to know Christ, we can be held captive by these things. And so the ungallery was really just a creative way to try and do two things. One, let's expose some of the lies that women believe, both Christian women and Muslim women. And two, a creative outlet for us to try and, and engage Christian women in the topic of reaching out to Muslims by saying, hey, we're not that different. We have these same uh, identity traumas that we both subscribe to. We can minister um, <clears throat> to them. Uh, out of our own, our own experience. And so I knew the creative component was there. Uh, and I knew that the identity uh, portion was there, but what the Lord has unveiled through this ministry over the last three or four years has just been truly magnificent. As we look at the notion of, of what is true trauma uh, and what would it mean to actually find trauma healing uh, according to the Bible uh, it's just been this beautiful discovery that it, and even in, in neuroscience, uh, the neuroscience community is actually contributing to this conversation and supporting, uh, unbeknownst to them, supporting a biblical understanding of trauma healing. And so uh, it's just been a, an amazing discovery of using the creative, using scripture study and, um, and using uh, a networking and fellowship and community to try and draw out some of these lies that women believe and how we can enter into trauma-informed friendships with Muslim women. You know, when we started uh, looking um, um, into, into the next set of episodes and uh, your name was brought up, and uh, of course, uh, um, you know, we start looking into your website and other things, I was moved by the approach. It was very very different. Almost everyone in the field of uh, evangelism, missions, and especially those who are Muslim practitioners, it seems like they uh, use similar methods. And in the midst of that, you bring this beautiful concept of art mm -hmm. and using that. And I was like, okay, this is so odd, but at the same time, so right. Very different approach. will speak to uh, people, Muslim people, in a very different uh, way. But most importantly, what I, as I'm listening to you, it just occurred, it occurred to me, you are literally entering into um, their suffering and uh, uh, in order to enter into that uh, place, you are also willing 
willing to be vulnerable. You are willing to expose yourself so that other can feel comfortable sharing their story. It's, it's like finding, like, you know, in, in Muslim uh, um, uh, ministry, we hear about person of peace or in missions generally, person of peace, looking for that person of peace. So that person of peace is the discovering that person of peace within yourself before you go out and uh, um, talk to other uh, people. I love the idea of um, evangelism. Salmon lies that uh, uh, women um, have to deal with, right? Yeah. So what is the importance of focusing on Christian women, not Muslim women, Christian women? in your ministry context? Well, so when you approach, when you look at the lies that women believe uh, around the world, this isn't even just about Christian and Muslim women. This is women in general. This is uh, the attack that Satan has had on the identity of women since the beginning of time. And, and so when you look at the lies that women subscribe to, things like, I'm not seen, I'm not loved, I'm not heard. I'm not protected. When you look at these lies, uh, you, you then have to ask the question, is there any hope for ever uh, making those things as uh, I think it was Tozer said, uh, making those sad things untrue? Is, is there any hope for the wounds of the heart to actually be completely restored and healed? And as it turns out, obviously the scripture is the only faith system that offers any sort of notion of, of shalom, the complete restoration, putting back to the way God intended things to be in the garden of Eden. And, and that being the case, uh, who better, who better to carry the mantle than, than Christian women. And as you start to look at the movements uh, of, of Muslims coming to know Christ, looking at uh, church movements, all over the world, you're noticing there's a pretty significant number of women who are having uh, immense impact in the underground church community and in disciple-making movements. And so uh, women are just a very strategic uh, community of people who have influence, quiet influence in some cases. And so I just wanted to leverage and, and to esteem and honor both the intellect and the influence of women in the church to, uh, to the Muslim community, but also to Muslim women as they are in their own community, um, recognizing that they have that influence and that if we can bring the truth of who we are forward and, and honor the truth of who God says he is and who God says we are, uh, I think even, as I mentioned before, I think even neuroscience would support that once you uh, heal those identity lies, transformation is inevitable. And once you empower uh, the female community to, um, to walk in that truth, uh, there are no limits. Yeah, so um, I, I would say like about two years ago, there was a Me Too movement, right? And mm -hmm. uh, many, um, we start hearing from different pastors and even uh, some of the well-known pastors were, uh, um, their name was, were brought up. And so my question is this, when we are empowering women, right? When we are dealing with this trauma or helping them to come out of these, whatever has happened, especially uh, in, I'm talking about, well, in Muslim community, I know what, what goes on. But when that comes up, 
And uh, if you are walking into a church and uh, it's almost starting a woman ministry in a church and that church already has a woman ministry, how do you, how do you come into a church um, and uh, talk to a pastor or uh, convince a pastor why we need this kind of ministry? Because even though you are talking, so it will, it will be completely fine for, for uh, um, the truth collective to come to a church and say that, okay, well, we trying to reach Muslim women, uh, Muslims through Muslim, Muslim women. But then if you go on um, discussing, but first we got to heal the trauma that Christian women are going through and we're going to empower them. We're going to help them to deal with these uh, things so that they can relate to Muslim women. Um, I'm just trying to imagine um how especially the large churches uh, that I'm, I'm thinking were a couple of those churches uh, who had very well-known pastors and the pastors were the problem and you walking into that office trying to make a case how, how do you do this that's that's my question basically practically what what would you do to differentiate between um, um women empowerment anyways yeah. I hope you're understanding what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I think so. And I think, I think the answer to the question is um, one of the hardest parts of our ministry is um, redefining the word trauma. And that's not because we're trying to uh, dismantle or diminish uh, the cultural understanding of trauma. Uh, it's because we, um, if we focus on a traumatic event, or we focus on uh, empowering women to overcome those traumatic events, we actually are not going to end up reaching the source of the actual trauma. And that is at the heart level, at the identity level. And so when you have this conversation with churches, one of the things that we need to do uh, fairly early on is to help uh, understand that biblically, Biblically, the trauma actually happens at an identity level. And while we need to put uh, protections and, um, and some, some guardians over the behaviors of pastors, as your example, uh, or, or other things like that, when it comes to the notion of how do we restore women back to wholeness, uh, if we're looking exclusively at the traumatic event, we're going to miss the mark altogether. And that's not only true of women, by the way. Uh, this is true of humanity, that traumatic events happen um, at the identity level and, and Christ alone uh, calls himself the healer of, of that place. If you look all the way in Revelation, right? The, the glory of heaven is that the tree of life will have leaves for the healing of the nations, right? <clears throat> so, it's really under, important, uh, whether we're talking about reaching Muslims, whether we're talking about uh, uh, empowering uh, Christian women, we're really not talking about em empowering their position. We're really talking about empowering them to understand what's broken, what's actually the problem. And you'll notice this, Dr. Javed, Ashley, if you listen uh, very carefully to, let's say, two people who experience, let's just say in your example, you've got two women in a church where the pastor has some sort of moral failure, or perhaps <clears throat> he or she has abused power in some way, shape, or form, and you address a room full of women who've been in uh, under the leadership of that pastor, 
you're actually going to notice that they all experience it very differently. And how is that possible? If a traumatic event causes trauma, then how is it that certain women walk away uh, without something that's hindering their ability to understand who God is or who she is? It's because it's because trauma happens at an identity level. And some people have identity wounds from their history, uh, from their belief systems uh, and so forth that other people don't have. And so we end up responding to traumatic events very differently. And, and that's where the conversation really needs to, needs to begin uh, with the church at large is just understanding what does the Bible call trauma? And when you go and do a, a research of, um, of the areas where God has sincere concern, and just look at women, for example, uh, sincere concern always comes to her heart. Look at the woman with the issue of blood, right? right she touches right. his hem. She's healed immediately. Can't he just go on his way? No, because the heart wound has not been addressed. Even her shame has not been addressed. He needs to stop and find her and see her and come down to her level and say, daughter, that's your identity, daughter. Now you are healed, right? So I, I love also how you, um, so there are two things you said earlier. You said shalom, that's like the wholeness, right? Full peace, complete. But then you also said that uh, it's not, uh, uh, you're not talking about uh, uh, empowering their position, right? They're, so that you're empowering their um, being in that sense, do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Like, so absolutely. They, are, they are valued themselves. So, so before the other person value them, they value themselves that, okay, this is my value, which is well, it's key. an understanding of it's an understanding of their value before God. I would even yeah. put valuing myself as secondary. Correct, and I think that that's actually a really a solid argument for shame and the honor culture right. uh, in that society because the society determines uh, who you are. Identity, as you said, is prescribed for you when you are born, and still even today in twenty first century is. Uh, it's preferable to have uh, uh, boys than girls. So let me uh, let me switch the topic as we uh, come come to closing this uh, this episode. Tell me more about the upcoming series, virtual tea parties. It's this, uh, it's fascinating. I want to hear about it, and I think it's it's uh, it's very cool idea. Even uh, maybe for men too. Men like tea too. I mean, most yeah, I, I think they do. I think they do. Although I have to say I've witnessed hospitality around a tea table um, in, in among my women friends um, in, in ways that have just really blessed my heart. Let me tell you this true story. This will kind of make you laugh. I uh, when when COVID happened, um, we were doing live tea parties. I have tons and tons of teacups from from all over the world and would bring women and Christian women together and tell stories of of Muslim women um, who have either come to know Christ or uh, Muslim women who are still struggling with, with identity lies. And we were meeting together uh, physically because that's, that's a passion of mine. And so when COVID happened, one of my board members said, well, Jamie, why don't you do virtual tea parties? 
I said, I think that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I don't think anybody would ever want to do that. I don't recommend, by the way, talking to your board members that way, but I have (laughs) (laughs) this great relationship with my, but we tried it because, you know, what else were we going to do? And it was this beautiful thing that transpired with women from all over the globe, being able to come around a tea table. And we, what we do is we take tea together. Somebody from another culture will say, Hey, this is our tea custom. Here's, you know, the cups that we use and the kind of tea that we, so it's just fun that way. But then we open conversation uh, that's relevant to both women who are uh, reaching out to Muslims and also women who are saying, Hey, that's not really something I, I know how to do, but, but I'm interested. And so we begin uh, conversations and we break up into little tea rooms and and have a chance to connect um, more closely with other women in the room. And this year, uh, because of the Afghan crisis, Uh, what was coming up more often, and and I'm sure you've seen this where you are as well, the conversation of of meeting the needs of of refugees uh, has been, you know, a hot topic for several years. One of the things that hasn't been discussed so much in that conversation is how trauma uh, plays a role. And and there's two reasons why this is really important. One, uh, I don't think I've ever met a refugee who hasn't come with some sort of, of identity trauma as a result of what they've been through. And two, I rarely meet Christian women who say, oh yeah, they've got this, this, this um, deep trauma, but I know exactly what I'm doing. I know how to handle that. No, that's not usually the case. We feel very overwhelmed by the circumstances that our refugee friends have been through and a lot of times it actually breaks down our desire and, and courage to reach out to them. And so the, the, the hope that we have for the series that we're doing this entire year in our virtual tea parties is to bring some of those uh, conversations forward. How does trauma impact uh, an individual who's been through war or through refugee camps or so on and so forth? How does that um, impact her? How do I myself uh, enter into that space when I've never been through something like that? So so where is my credibility as a friendship? And and just bringing forward some of the conversations that'll be really critical in reaching out to refugees. So the the tea parties are about an hour long. Uh, Once a month, we do that on a Tuesday afternoon and uh, we enter into these discussions and, and it helps build community too of women who are who are interested in, in getting together and talking about these uh, best practices. So are these uh, tea parties open for uh, general audience or is just uh, um, oh, by yeah. invite? Oh, so. no, it's uh, open to the general public. You can yeah. go to the events page on our website and you'll find a list of all the tea party conversations that we'll be having this year and you can register for That's the awesome. online. That's so cool. I started out uh, my ministry in New York. Uh, there was there's a there is a place called Hefsba House on uh, 75th Street, Central Park in 75th, and that was one of the uh-huh. top thing that the house did tea tea parties. So there was like a throughout the year they will have this um, tea events where some 80 women will show up. So my ministry was to uh, Muslims and uh, um, discipling younger men, um, but I always loved it. And uh, when the the previous director that I worked with retired, um, uh, it, you know, she continued her ministry. She is uh, in her 90s and she does that. Uh, she's from Indiana. Yeah, in Indiana. So she's still doing that. So she will create these um, tea packets 
And in that, there is a gospel message, but about the tea somehow. It was like really cool outreach too. And there were so beautiful, so many beautiful cups and teapots and all that. So just uh, last month I had one and I took a picture and I sent it to her. I said, I still am drinking this. It's so nice. So thank you so much for giving me the opportunity. It was awesome. So I, I think tea parties are good. This is a really neat concept. So tell me a joke. Tell you a joke. Yes, please. Well, you are just lucky that I have a sense of humor. Yes. Uh, <laughs> tell you a joke. Uh, Boaz in the Bible. What mm-hmm. kind of man was Boaz before he got married? What kind of man? Absolutely ruthless. Oh. Oh, right. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I love okay. that. Okay. Um, no, that's nice. Thank you so much for uh, coming on the show, Jamie. It was uh, great to hear you praying for you, praying for uh, virtual tea parties, praying for the Truth Collective. It's awesome what you guys are doing. Thank and you. Um, thank you to you all, our listeners. If you appreciate this podcast, please be sure to leave an honest review wherever you listen to your podcast. Uh, Tune in next week for more honest discussions from diverse voices. You've been listening to Our Urban Voices with Dr. Alphonse Javed, which presents Christian narratives through diverse voices that impact urban ministry. Please check back for new episodes every week.